welcome to Minute 25 of Movie Around Minute, the daily podcast where we take a wild trip to the 1987 John Hughes comedy, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me to finish off this week is J-Dub of Dubsism. Welcome back. Well, and thanks for having me back. All right, so Minute 25 begins with Dell still responding to Neil during this argument and ends with... Neil being in the middle of his diatribe against Dell. Okay, so yesterday we we finally had the point where Neil snapped, and they two of them got started getting into an argument about how both of them feel that the other one is causing more problems for them. And you and I came to the realization that it could go either way, depends on the the perspective that you're looking at it, and that. Yeah, in many ways, they are both wrong and they are both right at the same time. So we shall hopefully figure that out eventually as to what's going on there. <laughs> Who knows? Basically, Dell then says that he wish he starts wishing bad things on Neil, which you don't expect. He says, I hope you wake up so stiff you can't even move. And the response is, you're no saint. You got a free cab. You got a free room. And someone who listens to your boring stories. I mean, didn't you notice on the plane when you started talking? Eventually, I started reading the vomit bag. <laughs> didn't it give you some sort of clue? Like, hey, maybe this guy is not enjoying it. Now, first of all, in the scene that we saw when he was on the plane, there's no point where he actually is reading the vomit bag because he's got a copy of GQ with, as I, I did the research back then, this was he's he's reading an article about Kevin Costner in the May eighty seven issue of GQ. So he didn't really have he didn't reach the point where he's reaching for the vomit bag. And even during there's the extended cut scene of them in the airport, which gives another two and a half minutes, there's not even a notion of the fact that he is so bored that he starts reading the the vomit bag. I mean, it's a great well, line. That depends on your opinion of Kevin Costner to be to be frank, but you know. <laughs> He says the vomit bag. He didn't say a vomit, uh, you know, a, a vomit article or something <laughs> like that. So, I don't know. And then he basically goes, hey, maybe this guy is not enjoying it. You know, everything is not an anecdote. You have to discriminate. You choose things that are that are funny or mildly amusing or interesting. You're a miracle. Your stories have none of that. <laughs> You're not even amusing accidentally. Honey, I'd like you to meet Doug Griffith. He's got some amusing anecdotes for you. And here's a gun so you can blow your brains out. You'll thank me for it. I could tolerate any insurance seminar. For days, I can sit there and listen to them go on and on with a big smile on my face. They'd say, how can you stand it? And I'd say, and we're not even going to tell you what he'd say because we're not going to find that out till tomorrow. We have to wait and, and deal with that. Now, now, what do you know about the term anecdote? We'll go there. Um, I know there's an old Ron White joke about uh, if uh, if he knew the difference between anecdote and antidote, that one of his friends would still be alive. Yeah, he got <laughs> bit by a rattlesnake, and here I am telling him cute stories out of Reader, Reader's Digest. That's actually very funny. <laughs> <laughs> That's but actually as far very, as where very the funny. Term comes from, um, does it have anything to do with 500 million Zippo lighters? No, it no. does not. Okay. Does not. Okay. 
So, first of all, an anecdote is a brief, revealing account of an, indiv in, of an individual person or an incident, a story with a point, such as to communicate an abstract idea about a person, place, or thing through the concrete details of a short narrative or to characterize by delineating a specific quirk or trait. Occasionally humorous, anecdotes differ from jokes because their primary purpose is not simply to provide laughter, but to reveal a truth more general than the brief tale itself. Anecdotes may be real or fictional. The anecdotal dig digression is a common feature of literary works, or even oral anecdotes typically involve subtle exaggeration and dramatic shape designed to entertain the listener. An anecdote is always presented as the recounting of a real incident involving actual people and usually in an, in an identifiable place. In the words of Jürgen Hein, they exhibit a special realism and a claimed historic dimension. So the word anecdote itself means not given out. It's from the Greek. Okay, it was found in a work written by uh, Procopius of Caesarea, who was the biographer of Emperor Justinian I, who lived uh, 527 to 565. And there was a work that he produced called Anecdota, um, sometimes translated as unpublished memoirs or as secret history, which consists primarily, primarily of a collection of short incidents from the private life of the Byzantine court. Gradually, the term anecdote came to be applied to any short tale used to emphasize or illustrate whatever point an author wishes to make. In the context of Greek, Estonian, Lithuanian, Bulgarian, and Russian humor, an anecdote refers to any short humorous story without the need of factual or biographical origins. So maybe... Maybe Dell's stories are, are Russian. <laughs> well, I, I didn't know there was such a thing as Bulgarian humor, so we're still learning a lot here today. There you go. So anecdotal evidence is an informal account of evidence in the form of an anecdote. This term is often used in contrast to scientific evidence as evidence that cannot be investigated using the scientific method. The problem with arguing based on anecdotal evidence is that anecdotal evidence is not necessarily typical. Only statistical evidence can determine how typical something is. Misuse of anecdotal evidence is an informal fallacy. So it's a anecdotal evidence is a uh, factual claim relying only on personal observation collected in a casual or non-systematic manner. So basically, when someone's sitting on the stand and they're they're telling a story of why they think something happened a certain way, so they're they're giving this anecdotal evidence. All right. The term is sometimes used in a legal context to describe certain kinds of testimony which are uncorroborated by objective independent evidence, such as notarized documentation, photographs, audiovisual recording, or etc. It's used a lot also in advertising or in the promotion of a product, service, or idea. This, this anecdotal evidence is often called a testimonial. Psychologists have found that people are more likely to remember notable examples than a typical example. So I, I think that that's the, the the that last sentence that I just read right now is what makes an anecdote so uh, so great because it's the type of story that you're going to remember. It's going to be something that's going to stick in your mind. I mean, it reminds me like in Twelve Angry Men or any other movie that you deal with 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 a jury thinking about a case and stuff like that. So something like this would make more sense because they would remember a little story being told. 
as opposed to having to go through all the evidence of everything that's written there. That's probably one of the most intellectual ways of uh, discussing two guys fighting in a cheap motel I've ever heard. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I mean, Neil does get pretty mean in some of the things that he says here. There's no question about that. Absolutely. It's a great monologue. I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that it's bad at all, but he just is very mean. And and the fact that his diatribe reaches the point of, of, of contemplating suicide, that, that really goes a little too far here. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's why I think that's why, you know, what I said earlier that he's venting about a lot of other things. There's, there's way more anger in him than what's just directed at Dell. I mean, there's there's something that's been, you know, stoking his log for a while. Right. And, I mean, right after he mentions that he makes the suicide comment, at this point we get a shot of Dell, and we see that he's starting to get mad. Finally, he's reached the point where he, he just, he's reached his breaking point with everything mm-hmm. that Neil was talking about and, and did before and stuff like that. And, I mean, one other thing I wanted to mention about his his whole diatribe is he mentioned about the insurance seminar. Now he's in marketing. So why is he talking about insurance seminars? You'd think that he would say, you know, I was in a marketing seminar or something like that. They're both horrible. Is that, is that, does that count? Um, I would agree with that. Definitely. There's, there's <laughs> no question about that. I would agree with that statement wholeheartedly. I don't really have very much else to say about this minute because as we said, there, there's just a lot of dialogue and most of it is this diatribe by this mean diatribe by Neil against well, yeah, Dell. It's, I mean, it's it's self-explanatory. It it sets the tone for what's happening. And like you said, you know, Neil's tone gets gets mean and hateful. And my thought when I was watching this, and I alluded to this, uh, I think it was yesterday, where you know, there's a scene where we're talking about what's in the script, and like, okay, I thought that was going to end up with Neil throwing a punch. Right. With this in this minute where you see the look on Dell's face and I'm thinking, wow, he looks like a guy that's about ready to throw a punch, too. You know, and yeah, we're talking about a couple of middle aged guys who, you know, probably have grown past that sort of behavior in their life. But you make that two college age guys that I would rather blow my brains out than listen to you. Those are fighting words. Yeah, it's definitely true. No question about that. So that's pretty much all we have to say about this particular minute. Now I go into the script and what's really interesting is that this entire scene is not in the script. Okay. You have Neil have one thing saying, you saw me coming. You're no saint. You get a free room, free cab, and someone to listen to your boring stories. That's it. That's all it says in the script. I really wonder if Steve Martin ad-libbed this entire scene because again it's amazing if he ad-libbed this on the spot where he's talking about insurance seminars and he's talking about reading vomit bags and he's talking about suicide and stuff like that just to 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 come up with all that on the spot on his own is unbelievable oh yeah it's it's you know another movie made in 1987 that we found out was largely ad-libbed and, and, you know, good morning Vietnam and some of the stuff that Robin Williams comes up in that movie. If, if Steve Martin's ad-libbing that scene, that, that goes right into that category with great ad-lib stuff of all time. 
Yeah, no question about that. I mean, again, it could have been ad-libbed on so many different takes that they finally you know, used the final take. That, that I don't know. But the fact that it's not listed at all in the, the script goes to show that basically John Hughes said to him, do whatever you want here. And what he gives us is truly golden. Again, it's mean, but it's it's such a great diatribe. And it, it flows so well, the way that he does it all. Well, there's you know lots of very funny things in this world that are not nice. That's true. It's a good point. I'll, I'll, I'll give you that one. <laughs> all right. So every Friday, we have our guest give their top five John Candy performances, and we call it Weekend Candy. So, J-Dub, <laughs> why don't you give me your top five John Candy performances? Weekend Candy. I love it. And, you know, when you really – dig into John Candy performances, the toughest part I had was, you know, was really whittling this down to five. There's so many good ones. It's, you know, it would have almost been easier to name five John Candy performances that I don't like, but then in that case, I'm not sure I could have come up with five, you know? Yeah, that, that, so, that's a little bit of a problem. <laughs> so, okay. So, okay. Let's get to the weekend candy. Number five, uh, the blues brothers, 1980. Um, uh, number four, 1981, Stripes. How do you not love Dewey Oxberg? That know? is true. Yep. <laughs> Especially uh, when he's mud wrestling and does the homage to Curly. I mean, I'm a Three Stooges stooge. I can't. <laughs> uh, number three is actually a tie. Uh, it's uh, oh, a You're cheating. You're cheating. You can't cheat. I'm, I'm totally cheating. Um, I'm, I'm, if it makes you feel any better, I'm taking steroids while I'm doing this, so I'm not going to get in the Hall of Fame. Um <laughs> Uh, movie we already mentioned, uh, Vacation. Uh, the security guard Lasky is hilarious. Uh, here's another one that might be off everybody's uh, beaten path, and that's a 1985 movie John Candy made with Tom Hanks called Volunteers. I don't know if you're familiar with that one or not. Uh, of course I'm familiar with it. Come on. Have you have you thought of a movie that I'm not familiar with? How's that? Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm looking for one, and I'm going to have to look harder. I'm going to have to do my I research. I think so. I think so probably some sort of like you know bulgarian silent film from 1927 yeah but you have had to see it <laughs> <laughs> oh i've had to see it okay so then i just rent it on amazon prime and then i hit you with it uh, uh number two good, good way to waste your money <laughs> well I, I never said i was smart uh number two is another movie we've talked about uncle buck and number one, and this is the one that gave me the biggest problem with favorite John Candy performances, so I'm just lumping them all in, everything from SCTV from 1976 to 1983. You know, oh, come on, that's cheap. Yeah, cheap. I, okay. if, if you're gonna make me, if you're gonna make me name just one, I would have to go with Johnny Larue. Okay, and I'm actually surprised that 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 Plains didn't make your list, but I can understand that. Again, well, again, I mean, I only got five, and I cheated to sneak in six. That's true. That's true. All right. Well, <laughs> every day, another segment that we do is Off the Beaten Track, where myself or my guest will give a adventure or misadventure that happened to one of us over the course of our lives. So, J-Dub, why don't you finish off this week with another Off the Beaten Track story? 
um, this, I, I alluded to this earlier. We were talking about maybe two middle-aged guys, one that's a shower curtain ring salesman, another one that's a marketing slash insurance guy. Aren't the two guys that get in the fight? But I know that we mentioned earlier that you, not being a football guy at all, but do have the sadistic traits to make a good football coach. Um, that would be when two football players did get put in a room together that didn't get along, and the Neil and Dell situation breaks out. And as I mentioned with younger guys, uh, there might have been a couple of 300-pounders bouncing that room around a little bit, and uh, I may or may not have been one of those guys. Details are are sketchy, but uh, then uh, the, the door <laughs> flew open and there were a couple of football coaches, two of which who looked really delighted to see two guys beating the crap out of each other. I'm pretty sure those are the guys that had bets on, yeah, those two guys are going to fight if we put them in a room together. <laughs> okay, that, that is a very interesting off-the-beaten-track adventure or misadventure, which, you know, you, you try to protect the innocent by by not not naming names, so that that was good. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, protecting the innocent. Um, the statute of limitations has probably run out, and I'm pretty sure that the university um, paid for the damage to the room. So, all right, so you're good. You're good. I would hope so. All right, <laughs> all right, great. And uh, since you're the sports guy, why don't you give us one last sports analogy? For everyone to, to think about till till next season when hopefully you'll be asked uh, back. Well, um, this this story this is this is a true story. Uh, this involves the 1990s era Atlanta Braves. Um, they had a star player Dale Murphy. named David Justice. Oh, David Justice. What's that? No, I said Dale Murphy. <laughs> I think Dale Murphy's in Philadelphia by this time, but he was in the 80s. Dale Murphy was was an Atlanta Brave. Oh, okay. Um, Anyway, David Justice. David Justice, at this time, is married to Halle Berry. Now, as the movie guy, I know you know who Halle Berry is. Who? Who? <laughs> who? She's in that 1927 Bulgarian silent oh, film. Oh, oh, her. Okay. Yeah. yeah yes. Yes. Uh, anyway, she David Justice is married to her, and nobody wants to be David Justice's roommate on the road because apparently Halle Berry was insanely jealous. Like... She would call their hotel room at all hours of the night. There were times where they would be on the road. I think this the story I'm thinking about happened in, in I think it was Houston, where they're on a road trip and Halle Berry rents a plane and shows up at the team hotel at three in the morning, pounding on the door to check on her husband. Wow. Who, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, nobody wanted to be his roommate. It escalated to the point where finally the Braves had to trade him to Cleveland because nobody wanted to deal with him. Wow. And yeah. So if you think you've had a bad roommate, what would have happened if, you know, Neil's wife would have showed up banging on the door? What would have Dell thought of that? I don't know. Vice but Neil would have been really happy because he would have a way of getting back home. <laughs> Unless her flight got canceled, too. <laughs> That's true. All right. This has been a great week. Thank you very much for, for joining us. Do you want to once again tell people how they can get in touch with you? Dubsism.com. D-U-B-S-I-S-M. It's a first-page search result on Google. You can get me at dubsism at yahoo.com. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Of course, the blog on WordPress. 
D-U-B-S-I-S-M. All right. Excellent. And you can go rate, review, review and subscribe on any podcatcher that might be using to listen to this show. And you can find me very simply by doing a search for Movie Rob Minute. You can find us on Twitter. You can go to our website. You can find us on Facebook. Or you can send me an email at MovieRobMinute at MovieRob.net. So, J-Dub, thank you very much once again for, for joining us. Well, and thanks thanks for having me. And, um, you know, just in case you don't invite me back for next time for all the things you're going to ultimately edit out here, um, thanks for everybody uh, for putting up with me in the Movie Rob uh, podcast universe. <laughs> uh, nice to get to know you, and you can remember me fondly. All right, great. Well, everyone have a great weekend, and we will see you on Monday. But until then, you're fine. <laughs> Oh, you're fine.